right, the boys are back in town. Mike got spiked. I know that's not a great intro, but here we are anyway, guys. Welcome to the show. How are you? That's not our song. (laughs) (laughs) Wish it was. (laughs) I wouldn't be here if that was the case. I'd be in smoking a big cigar and and cabo. How's things, boys? Things are all right. Good here, good here. Yourself? All good. All good. Delighted to see you're coming back together. So look, we'll start off by that. How did this all come about? Connell, that's you, buddy. Okay, yeah. So uh, approximately 20 years ago, uh, Smart was <laughs> an organization in Dublin that decided to get bands working together and doing all these fantastic things. And we were lucky enough to be a part of that. And um, we, along with a lot of other bands uh, under the Gig Smart banner, released an unsigned Irish CD. And the 20th anniversary of that is upcoming. So one of the organisers, a guy called Niall Steins, fantastic gentleman, contacted me to say, listen, I'm putting on a gig to mark the 20th anniversary. Going to get some of the bands together to play. Uh, I know Michael Spiked are spread to the four corners of the globe, but is there any chance that I could open up the show as an acoustic set. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no bother. And I got taken, I was like, hang on a minute. Just so happens by chance, I know that Gavin Maguire is going to be in Dublin that weekend for a completely unrelated reason. So I got on to Gavin and then I said, listen, any chance Dave Lodge might be in town as well? Like, would the planets align in such a way to make this thing happen? And just pure chance, yes, he is. So I said to Niall, listen, Feck, acoustic set, the bodies are getting back together just for one night only. Just pure coincidence, pure chance, pure luck, pure whatever you want to call it. But that's how this came to be. Is it definitely a one-night deal, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We're too old to play two nights in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, just for the viewers out there, our bass player, Barry Monaghan Baz, is not actually able to make this call. Unfortunately, he had a bereavement, so um, he sends his, uh, his, his, his regards, at least. Uh, so just a little aside as well, the, the Gig Smart compilation album that was put out was the got to number six in the Irish charts, and it was the first thing that we were on that charted. And then Gig Smart went on after that to, I think, put seven bands in the top 30, uh, in the top 30 in our, the Irish charts, and we were one of those bands. So we're, you know, our careers was, was basically launched by this. So it's a big deal for us, and we felt that it was necessary to pay it adequate, adequate tribute, certainly. You know, because... Um, we wouldn't be where we are. I, I'm sitting in California, just outside San Francisco in wine country. Do you think that would have happened if there was no gig smart? <laughs> no, it wouldn't have happened. So everything that, that we have now basically comes from that. And um, just the amazing lives we lived. We got to, you know, after that top 30 hit single that we had, our album charted in 2005 as well. And then uh, we... The single first, yeah, and then the uh, then the album, and then we ended up on the Vans Warp Tour playing with the biggest rock bands in the, the world, which was weird because you know we were this struggling um, this struggling independent band in um, I know we were signed at the time actually, yeah, signed to an independent label. Still uh, struggling though. Still struggling for sure, and then couldn't get any any uh, press attention or you know proper PR or couldn't get the Irish music industry to pay any attention to us because we were just too heavy and it was a pop controlled industry. And um, suddenly, boom, America gives us the Vans, the Vans Warped Tour and we're going to be playing with Venge Sevenfold, do you know? And My Chemical Romance and all this kind of stuff. So we were like, yeah, we love you guys in Ireland. We love Gig Smart, the music collective, all those people, um, but we got to go. And then we came to America, you know? So I all came from Gig just gonna Sorry. say you guys met a lot of fans in america as well because i seen like when you're posting there online people are writing oh i seen you in this state and i seen you in this state are you guys coming back really want to see you like how was america for you like because i never talked to the three of you together about this well Gavin? uh it's been incredibly humbling morris to see the reaction to this show now when we when connell and myself and dave and barry talked about it we thought it'd just be you know we'd play to 50 people it'll be a cool little thing uh, to honor Gig Smart and, and the, the leg up they gave us. Not for a second did I think that we'd hear from people 
all across the states chiming in about are you going to tour again are you doing any any plans for shows outside of ireland people traveling from across europe to come and see this gig in dublin so it's been really humbling and you know i think we've all found it you know my gut spike was a massive part of our lives but it's kind of we've consigned that to the past in many ways you know we've all been doing different things for the last 11 plus years and you know my gut spike's just been this amazing thing but you know we're different people now we've kind of we all have jobs and we've done different things musically and kids and wives and significant others and all that kind of life stuff so i personally i look back at michael spike as this as dave alluded this vehicle that allowed us to have the lives we have today but it's kind of something that not that i never thought we might play again but it just we hadn't really talked about it. We hadn't talked about, you know, aside from you and a few other people annoying us going one more gig type of thing. You know, it's just been something that we haven't really talked about. <laughs> you have been for since the day we stopped. But yeah. this, as you said, this came about very serendipitously. And it was just one of those things where this is August, that week in August will be the first time that the four of us have been in the same country at the same time. And it's by pure chance. There was no thought on our parts for that i'm traveling back for work dave's going to be there for family and connell and baz live in ireland so it's just one of those weird moments where we felt we have to do this because it's the 20th anniversary of the the, the album that really set us on our path and we all happen to be back in ireland at the same time we can't not do this so in terms of what does this mean for the band going forward, it, I don't think it means anything per se at this moment, but let's see how the show goes. I, I, my perspective, and I'm only one of four, is never say never. You know, this could be great. I don't see us becoming a full-time band again, but maybe we'll play more shows sometime. I just don't know. Actually, now that, I, now that I'm thinking of it, it's all fallen into place. I think what happened here is that Morris just wished really, 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 really hard <laughs> that could be what happened praying every night <laughs> you need to get out you know more, once you, you know that once you start i'll be like whiskey 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 that'll be the next thing that'll be the next thing i'll be pushing for right well, well that's the just playing it 13 a, times in a row have a couple of shots and we might play that song at some point in the set don't worry morris you'll get your whiskey don't worry yeah. yeah, I see we have some well, comments for... coming in here. Oh, that, you can read that, that one here. Think from Nines, right? Yes, it was, was destined by the gods of rock. rock. <laughs> Good old Nilo. That man there, that's Niall Steins there. He's a, he is the brainchild of Gig Smart. He is, as, as, as Connell uh, alluded to earlier, and then um, he's actually organizing the show, and he was part of the the record label that first signed us and released our first album and we owe you know we owe our lives right now to that man it's uh he's an amazing guy well credit where it's due there was also mr trout mooney and mr tom brunker the, the the holy trinity of gig smart these three guys who just i don't know we're just decided let's uh let's take away this whole wretched pay-to-play thing that used to go on where promoters were just screwing bands over basically getting bands to pay through the nose to get to play a crappy place with whoever they could sell tickets to. And these three guys took it on top of themselves to just go, let's, let's see if we can change this. And they were, you know, they were, they were young guys. They were in their twenties. They just, I don't know how they did it, but they, they actually turned uh, into a thriving music industry. And, you know, it's not just our success here as well. I mean, there are so many other bands, great bands that were on that scene. And anyone who comes along to the show on the 25th is going to have the pleasure of seeing three of those bands as well. The Amazing Pinion, Popstar, and Me in the Park. Just, yeah, I say, a tip of the iceberg, just so many amazing bands that were on that particular um, scene at the time. But, um, yeah, so. On the, topic, on the topic, actually, of the scene. So I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie CBGB. It's with Alan Rickman. And yeah. it's... Uh, it's a great movie, uh, uh, but it's about CBGBs, obviously, in in New York and how the was, owner of CBGBs. CBGBs. <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away? Um, so you know, the owner of CBGBs basically had these bands play in his bar, and they had no other places to play in New York. New York was not a place that young bands could go and play. 
And then he opened his doors and basically created this scene that launched the careers of television, the first punk rock band, who I love. Um, who else? Blondie, the Ramones, and David Byrne, and what's David Byrne's band again? Talking Heads. So like that's four of the bands that that came out of there, and it absolutely exploded. But when I was when when I was watching that movie, I was really taken aback that we had the same thing. We just had it in Dublin, and we had no financial backing. <laughs> so he basically he basically let let the uh, the A and R people into his bar for free and gave him free booze and free coke, and then they would sign all these bands. We didn't have that. That's the only thing that we didn't have. If you look at that movie and you see what we went through, it was virtually the same thing, just with Niall, Trev, and uh, Tom making all of that happen like the, the owner of CBGBs. And when I watched that movie, I was really like taken aback that, oh, we've kind of lived the dream, you know, uh, in, in Ireland. <laughs> Say again? Without the money or the coke. <laughs> Without the money or the coke, yeah. We, we lived the dream in that regard, and that would be, it was a beautiful thing, man. Uh, we, when we moved to LA first, there was no unity like there was in, uh, in Dublin. There was just this beautiful unity in that music collective of everybody's helping each other out. And when we came to Los Angeles, the, 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 the vibe was the opposite. It was, you are my opponent from the other bands. Your success means my success is less likely to happen. And our attitude to those guys was like, what are you talking about? You know, that's incorrect. We've already experienced it. CBGBs is the same thing. If you lift each other up, someone gets to the top and then pulls everybody up. And that really was not our experience in Los Angeles. It left a, a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. That's why I don't live there anymore. But, um, but we got to, to do that in Dublin. It was an amazing thing. Excellent, excellent. And you guys met another band that were over there, kind of guys that I know as well, trying to do the same thing as you guys, Jekyll, and you guys kind of oh, yeah. got together and went on the road a little bit. What was that like? Well, first off, it was very smelly. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we moved in with them, I think it was 2009. 2009, we moved into a house with them. They were good enough to put us up because we had no place to live and our management. We just landed, our, our, we landed ourselves major management. A guy who was managing Dead Kennedys and Jonathan Butler and stuff. And he said, you got to move to Los Angeles. And we were like, how are we going to do that? We make our money by touring. And he said, sorry, guys, you got to move to Los Angeles. So we called the, the Jekyll guys up and they said, uh, sure, come live with us. And so we, uh, it was seven of us in a house in, uh, in San Fernando Valley, which is like North Hollywood, uh, which is hot. And they had forest fires that year and we could see the forest fires from our house and i think it was 115 degrees fahrenheit which is about 45 degrees centigrade and we had no ac in the house just fans we used to um just we set up a hose outside in the patio that just sprayed down on top of us and we just turn it on walk out get completely drenched and then be dry 45 minutes later so it was a hot sweaty affair <laughs> Oh yeah, good guys. Definitely. For, for people, yeah, they were they were good enough to to. So, so you say we we met them. We actually no, we we totally moved in with them, <laughs> and they were great enough to, to, to let us. To, well, I suppose if we split the rent. It made sense for struggling musicians to to share a house. But um, we played gigs together, or we'd split gear. We got rehearsal rooms together. We kind of pooled our resources to try and make it easier on all, all of us. And, you know, whenever they were playing, we'd come along and cheer them on and vice versa. Because um, like Dave was alluding to in, in LA, it was very hard to get a crowd to kind of get a following. And this goes back to the big smart thing as well, where bands would go to see their contemporaries play and stand up the front and cheer them on rather than stab them in the back metaphorically. So we kind of tried to start that in L.A. with Jekyll and with some other musical acts that had come from Ireland to try and make their way. We tried to to build a community there with those two and say, listen, if we if we go to each other's shows, if we cheer each other on, maybe people think, you know, a crowd draws a crowd, you know? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't kick guys... off. Sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> for people that are wondering, and I'll start with Gavin on this and work my way down to you then, David, like what what are you doing now in your life in, in terms of music, in terms of what, what you guys are up to? Because I know you're all doing different things in different parts of the world. Uh Musically, I'm not up to a huge amount, to be honest. I have a, I play in a cover band, play bass guitar and, and sing in a cover band. It's pretty uh, low key. I mean, we have a lot what? of fun. Hey, sorry. It's not, it's not low key. He's played to a stadium of like 18,000 people with that band. That's, 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 a a <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that's a total scurrious, scurrilous lie, Dave. We have not played. No, it's not. <laughs> I saw the footage of it, man. Anyway, I'm thinking it was eighteen thousand people. But thank you for bigging me up. I appreciate it, uh, <laughs> Mars. You know, it's uh, you know I'm in a position in my life. I've been married over ten years, and I have two young kids. So I have a good job. I work at a university in Indiana near Chicago, and I'm blessed. You know, I have a great job and, and good prospects, and I have a really nice life in Indiana cost of living is not too bad and close to Chicago when I need to get home. I'm actually back in Ireland. I just got landed in the country earlier today. So it's I'm sitting in my parents' kitchen right now, jet lagged to be damned, but you know, still trying to stay awake. I think I'm up 28, 30 hours at this point, but it's all good. Uh, the band I play in is called the Jerryophonics Band. But as I said, it's, it's all covers. I kind of not that I lost the fire for original music or anything like that. I just, I got tired. After Mike got spiked, I joined another band with a bunch of incredible musicians. And on paper, I thought it was going to be a really excellent, interesting, popular type of thing we were doing, but it just didn't resonate. So after that, I, I suppose I just was jaded and tired by it. So I just do covers completely now. Uh, who knows what I might get back into at another point in my life. But right now I'm just playing 10 to 20 shows a year at most. And it's cool. It's low key. You know, we, we've learned a repertoire of music and we barely rehearse. We just play shows and it pays well and it's fun. It keeps my chops uh, somewhat ticking over. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Dave. Me. Uh, so I, um, yeah, I'm similar to Gavin. I, I'm an electrical contractor. I live in wine country outside San Francisco, about an hour east of San Fran. And um, musically, what do I do? I still play like a lunatic all the time. Um, I can't do six to nine hours a day like I used to, but I mean, I did 10 hours last week <laughs> in practicing for this gig. I don't have kids, so, uh, and I don't have a wife. So I'm, I'm a very happy solo individual. And um, I play with my uncle. So when, when Mike got Spike split, um, I was kind of faced with the whole, the question, which was, why do I play music exactly? And upon examination, it was to play with family and friends. And so I've moved up here. My uncle's 65. He likes playing classic rock. He's a great singer, guitar player. And so I play in his band now, playing classic rock, which is cool. And then... Um, I have a local bar that I play at every every week, maybe every, well, kind of every second week I go down to the open jam. And I know a lot of the guys there and we'll throw something together and put a, a lot of guys on stage and just have a, an open jam kind of situation, which is very, very nice. Um, and I, you know, I sing, I play guitar as well so I can get up there and sing and have a, you know, have a good time for an evening, uh, play drums with people, and then there's sort of a significant group of friends that I have in LA uh, and up here who I like to play with and occasionally go down to who are just fabulous musicians. Um, so I occasionally do that too. And then um, I'm doing a little bit of work for um, this beautiful opera singer that um, I'm seeing down in Los Angeles who's an original, an original artist. And she's, uh, her name is Gita Novotny. And she's um, she's played with Andy Summers, and you know she's kind of like a high level opera singer. And so she has a she has me play drums on her on her recordings and write with her as well. So still doing a little bit of originals, but not my own originals because when my got spike split, I did go off and try and be a lead singer in a band and wrote a load of songs and put again a band together and stuff. And we were really good musicians, but at the end of the day, the music that I wrote. I just thought it was okay. 
you know, nothing really excited me and it was not near as good as Mike got spiked. And at the end of the day, I just had to acknowledge that writing music no longer makes me happy. And um, so I'm just focused on being a musician and being a musician and getting better as a musician is a beautiful way to experience music. And it doesn't involve any of the heartache that being an artist and a songwriter takes. I don't want that anymore. I'm not interested. So just, you know, having music be something light and um, something that makes me happy with no, uh, with no anchors anymore. That's, that's the way I, I approach music now. Nice. Uh, Connell? Well, uh, yeah, kind of similar. Um, when when the band kind of dissolved, fizzled out, I'm not sure. We kind of went out more with a whimper than a bang back in 2012. But um, I would kind of, again, like the rest of the lads, I'm sure, was in a kind of a, a, a limbo state. What am I doing? What do I do here? I got into playing with cover bands and wedding entertainment. Uh, but funny enough, I dropped two strings because you find that there is too many bloody guitar players in this country. So uh, like Gavin, I picked up the bass <laughs> and um, I played bass guitar in a wedding band for several years. Um, I still actually play bass occasionally. Um, well, occasionally I dip in with the Queen Tribute, which features Tom Brunkard of Gig Smart fame um as brian may so i'm his john deacon but um those guys were too busy for me uh, I, I was playing with them full-time but they uh they just they play every bloody weekend i'm working full-time i have a wonderful job there love um so i prefer to just play when i want to so i dip in with them occasionally i also play with the fantastic seattle grunge experience again on bass um but um we you know, we do that just for fun. Because the guys, like I said, we're all middle-aged. We all have solid jobs. Some of us have wives and kids. We're not hard touring anymore. It's like we only play as many gigs as we want to. So we might only do like 10 or 15 gigs a year. A little bit of fun. Maybe a little bit of pocket money. But, um, you know, definitely the uh, the days of six gigs a week, living in a van, smelling each other's socks. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to leave that part of the job behind, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, I also um, <clears throat> occasionally play uh, with my lovely fiancé. We have a, an acoustic duo. Um, we haven't done that in a little while, but we, we had a couple of nice little arrangements we do. She's a fantastic singer, um, and we were called Nomad Rush. Um, but again, like like Gavin, like Dave, it's like it's now something I just do for fun. It's a hobby. It's something to just do for joy, and that is the kind of joy of it. We spent years honing our craft, learning how to be musicians, struggling. We it got to a stage where music was the struggle was so real. We began to not enjoy it anymore. So now it's like, right, I've got my job, and when I'm finished work, I can have my glass of wine, I can pick up a guitar and just play for fun. There's no pressure, there's no need to go, how am I going to make this thing pay my rent? It's like, no, this is just what music should be for joy. It's interesting yeah, we, you we... say that, Connell, because as we're prepping for this gig for August, I've been very cognizant of the fact of not trying to make this too businessy and too formal. And let's just let's just play a show and have some fun, but you know, you have to put some rigor around what you're doing as well. So I've been, I've been personally, I know I can be a bit controlling at times. So personally, I've been very cognizant of that kind of going, well, yeah, let's see what we can do. And we'll do this. We'll do that. We, you know, so. Go ahead. I've been practicing my balls off for the last two weeks since we heard about this gig. So yeah, this, this guitar has been hanging on a wall since I moved into this house. I had to knock the cobwebs off. <laughs> and so how do I play this thing plugged in again? Um, but yeah, like, the idea is, like, I, I'm overjoyed that we're doing this. But at the same time, yeah, I'll leave the business to better business minds. I'm a more of the show up and play kind of mindset. <laughs> let, let, the, let the promotion, let the selling T-shirts and uh, uh, all of that go to people who um, are hated less than I do. <laughs> Actually, on that topic of, of the business, um, I, I find that 
you know, what were we doing in My Gut Spike? We were running a, a successful small business. That's what we were doing. And the business lessons that I learned from that absolutely apply to my own business now, which is another successful small business, you know? Um, so that was another aspect of My Gut Spiked that is not to be understated, the fact that it taught us business and how it works. So as Gavin says, when we agreed to this gig, immediately we started thinking business-wise, you know? Yeah. That is myself. Myself and Gavin were the, were the business guys in the I band, didn't. you know? <laughs> I didn't. was yeah. the cock-out guy. I don't think you're. I don't think you're under any pressure at all, guys. It's a fiver. Jesus, you should be charging a bit more than that. Well, we probably what should the, have. It was well, kind of the, the the idea was 2003 kind of line up 2003 prices, and it's not about making money. You know, it's. It I bought three tickets anyway for myself. Three? Could you not have gotten four? <laughs> I get another three next week. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Be outside fucking scalping them. <laughs> There's the businessman. Heartening to see that the we you know we got a quick update from the venue that you know they're heading towards fifty percent sold already after a week and a half or whatever it is you know so that's been really Sweet. humbling to see that you know that uh, I mean obviously great lineup of bands as Connell mentioned we've played with all of those guys innumerable times over the years but it's just. It's so apropos to have a 20-year reunion with all of those bands. It, it just wouldn't make sense to have like a new lineup of acts or whatever. So very excited about it. And to see the old crew. Oh, yeah. That has me so excited. Like, that's the biggest thing. You know, the biggest positive thing that came from Mike Got Spiked was when, um, when the band split, uh, the notion that we weren't going to see the people that we would see all the time anymore that was one of the hardest parts because there you know we were kind of this trunk of this very positive tree that's you know loads of people met each other because of our music and going to see us play and became lifelong friends with each other and are you know friends great friends with us so the idea of you know seeing um seeing you know jenny and laura up the front and you know chris chris jumping around in the background screaming his head off at me and stuff is uh just fills me with joy, you know, to get to have a reason to get everybody back together again. That whole crew that existed around Mike got spiked. That for me, that was the the biggest and best part of being in the band. I actually hated the music industry, and I I did hate the business side of things, even though apparently we were good at it. Um, I hated that side of things. I was all about, I you know, I, I never we never wanted to be on a magazine cover. We never needed to be um you know rock stars like Kirk Cobain or that was never our thing for us I, it was always about getting to play to a bigger audience getting to play to a bigger audience it's all about playing live and all about the audience and the people the you know at the end of the day when you're touring and you're playing the same set every night the only thing that's different about every gig is the audience you know and um we're blessed to say that I felt that we had an amazing audience and they were our friends. You know, these people are our friends. So I'm looking forward to seeing all my old mates. Yep. Uh, can we talk about the the single you guys put together a couple of years back? Because obviously that kind of came out of blue and I know it was something personal for the three of you as well. Like it was kind of surprising to people when it went up the my friend Tim. So so one of you guys want to just explain the the story behind that. It's a nice story. I suppose I'll give this one to Dave as well, because uh, go for it. Oh, okay. Gavin, you want to take it now? Okay. Well, I call it the music, and you're closest with Tim, so I'm definitely not taking it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we have a friend, Tim Schluter. He lives in Ohio, and he is the most generous man that we ever met. On the, uh, the first night, sorry, the second gig that we ever played in the United States was in Elyria, Ohio, I think. Um, at the spot, wasn't it? The spot. That's yep. the correct. Yeah. And you know, we had a policy. All right, lads, make sure you're warmed up because as soon as we start playing, we all go as absolutely mad as you can possibly go. And so I click it in, click, 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 and we start rocking. And Gavin immediately goes so mad that he falls over and hits his knee on a wedge, 
and breaks his kneecap. Okay? Kneecapping. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, so Gavin breaks his kneecap and finishes the gig in sh- going into shock on stage like a rock and roll hero, like Dave Grohl, basically. And um, there's this gentleman in the audience, and he's been looking at Gavin, and he's noticed that Gavin's injured. And so afterwards, he comes up and he says, are you okay? Turns out that he's a, he used to be a paramedic, I think. Anyway, he, um, he looked after us. I mean, we had to, you know, obviously cancel the few dates we have after that. And he said, I'll put you guys up in my nature preserve. So, he, um, <laughs> yeah, so he basically gave us cots and he put us up in his nature preserve. And uh, when I say nature preserve, I mean preserve nature yeah. on the walls. It, it was a gun club. <laughs> so you talk about, weed, right? So yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot that. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had um, the four of us never, and those three guys had never fired guns. I grew up on a farm, so um, I'd fired a, I'd fired guns. But uh, as soon as he found out the next day that we hadn't fired guns, he's like, he made this phone call. He goes, "Hey, I got three. I got four Irish fellas here who never fired guns before." Ha 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 ha. Yeah, bring them all. And then the next day they showed up with 18 guns, was it? Was it 18 guns they showed up with? And like stacks of beer. And then Gavin is in a wheelchair with his leg in a cast. <laughs> and, and Tim had brought him to the hospital and stuff. So he's there in his cast uh, drinking a beer as we're shooting blown up stuff with shotguns, you know. And it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun, a little surreal. But um, that was kind of the level of hospitality we received from him. He was the real epitome of American hospitality. Um, I realize we're white and we're Irish, and it's good to be Irish in America. But the, the level of hospitality we've received in America is just astounding. I have never, I, I can't even describe how, how it was really. Well, I suppose I am. I am describing it. Anyway, no, just him after. In great detail, because that, that's basically the long version of the first verse of that song. <laughs> yes. So, so, um, so basically Tim, Tim looked after us for the years that we were touring after that. Anytime we, we ended up in here's part of the world, uh, he would put us up uh, for free. And at one point he just gave us a thousand dollars. Here's a thousand dollars towards the cause. And we're like, we can't accept this. And he said, if you don't accept it, I will be highly offended. And so we had to accept a thousand dollars from him. Um, yeah, just an incredibly generous man. Anyway, a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with cancer, and we felt that we wanted to to tell the world about his his generosity and how America has something to be proud of in people like him. And so that's why we came together to put that song together. So Connell actually had the music already written and ready to go, and so it was you know we did it across the water from each other and just put it all together, wrote it, and threw it out there, and then. We just did it as a once-off. It wasn't something that we were going to pursue afterwards. We did it purely as a tribute to the man. And thankfully, he's still alive, actually. Yeah. He's, um, he's doing okay. He still also, has cancer, but he's doing okay. Yeah, he's a great man. I'd also like to throw another little shout-out in there as well, because this was a tune that we, as Dave said, did transatlantically on our own little laptops and recording devices. And it sounded a bit rough when it was done. But thankfully, Mick Richards, Track Mix Studios, who's always been a great advocate of Michael Spike, said, listen, sh- send me what you got, and I'll mix it for you. And it came back sounding fucking pretty good. So big up to Mick. Uh, still an amazing engineer. If you play rock or metal and want a decent recording, he's the man to go to. Mick Richards, Track Mix Recording Studios. Give him a shout. We did all our demos there. Some of the stuff um, he mixed... Red to Blue, actually, that's on the out the last album. That was his mix. Um, Time bomb as well. Time, Time bomb, bomb yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, the original recordings we did for the CD twenty years ago that was a, that was Mick as well. So definitely, if you want to sound good, you play rock metal. One recording, check him out. What's the uh, Gavin? The, the yeah, we're on Spotify and YouTube, and we do have some recordings by him on there. So yeah, it's Red to Blue, uh, Time Bomb, and then we've got some more others as well. We've got the, 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 yeah. the Charm Defensive Sessions were all done there. Is that it's an EP we did in two thousand nine? That's yeah. the one. The, char- yeah. the Charm Offensive Sessions. Yeah, so that's on our our Spotify and, and uh, check that out. I mean, some of the best recordings we ever did. 
There's a so on all the demos are on the Bandcamp page as well for anyone who wants to hear like virus kiss, speechless, five second heaven demos, that stuff. Yeah, I'm guessing uh, yeah. CDs won't be on sale at this show, but I'm sure a few people might be looking for T-shirts. Any update? Well, we've, we've plenty of no is not an answer CDs if anyone wants them, so don't worry about that. Okay. And yeah, we're looking into the possibility of doing some shirts for the show. Uh, it's one of those things where it's, as Con Connell said, it's a fine line between enjoying the show for what it is, playing a show and having fun, and then worrying about business and trying to get designs and creating t-shirts and pricing them and dealing with inventory and profit and loss and all that stuff. So it's kind of like a do we want to get into all of that for one show? Maybe, yeah, maybe then, what to do with all the thousands of unsold ones? Like the <laughs> thousands. <laughs> well, we're, going to, we're going to just take a load of old album CDs. We're going to fashion them into like a kind of a bulletproof vest kind of shirt that you can buy for the price of 12 CDs. <laughs> so just, you need another glass of wine there, buddy. I yeah, don't yeah. think you <laughs> just super you glued to a white. Just the album super glued to a white t-shirt, like. <laughs> he looks so artistic do not, down there, doesn't he? Yeah, and just writing the label and pen, just do not wash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or do, I don't care, you paid for it. Do what you want with it. <laughs> it's free country. In, in terms of set list then and stuff like that, how long are you guys playing and what kind of mix are you going to throw into this? Or has that been decided? We're, we're still ironing all that out. We have a 45, 50-minute set, which, you know, is back when we were still playing full-time. That that was us just getting warmed up. But, you know, we're all, we're all getting on in age now, and we haven't done anything this crazy. And, you know, I, I'm, I might sound like I'm being facetious, but the, the, the reality is that I haven't thrown my body around as violently as I did in Mike Got Spike since 2012 right so we're gonna have one or two rehearsals max before the show and it's going to be a case of uh you know we're all professionals we all expect that when we show up in that rehearsal room it's going to sound pretty good after one or two run-throughs but still uh you know you never know right so 45 minutes is what we're looking at i think in terms of the set list that's always been connell's arena and we're kind of leaving it to him to do it but it'll have a if, if our fans were to write a set list, I think it'll probably be much like what we'll perform on the night. Yeah. Yeah, the hits. yeah all killer, no filler. Um, I did have to look at this because, uh, funny enough, uh, we were sent a set list that we played before we went to America. This was about two and a half hours long. And here's for ideas like, Jesus Christ, did we really play that long? Uh, <laughs> I know. A lot, of, a lot of deep cuts you probably won't hear. Um, I had a look at our back catalog. I had to be kind of ruthless going, listen, we just, it's not that long a set. We can only really include the ones we really have to play, the real, I don't know if crowd pleasers is the word, but the ones that have always got the best response, the ones that we enjoy playing the most. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a few people going, oh, I wish you played this song or I wish you played that song, but, you know, We'll do what we can. We can't please everyone. So I decided instead I'm going to piss everyone off and play the songs every night. <laughs> <laughs> Just like old times. And they can't give out. It's only a fiver. You can do what you want. Well, very true, exactly. right? Uh, I mean, there's... You know, Morris is there's all each one of us has songs that are near and dear to our hearts, whether we wrote them ourselves or they just, uh, you know, spark a memory of that moment in time that we'd all we'd love to play many of those ones that maybe are fringe, but we just can't. You know, we've got to pick the ones that resonated the most, that people listen to the most, that we always played the most. And I think we, intrinsically we have a good sense of that. Uh, and the, the songs kind of pick themselves really without much ado. How much are you yeah. guys looking forward to this? I was talking a little loud. <laughs> well, like I said, 10 hours of practice last week, which is not something I've done since the band. <laughs> I basically, um, I virtually stopped playing drums for a few years afterwards. 
uh, I just sort of did the basic maintenance, and then in 2021, after I um, after I have after I my after I filed for divorce, um, I I I got back on the drums and started getting myself back in shape. It's 2021, so but then you know you're talking a few hours a week kind of thing. Whereas last week I was 10 hours a week, which I enjoyed thoroughly, and I was like, oh, I used to love this. So, um, yeah, it has me fired up for sure. And also, I, I, you know, meant to, obviously, when you're playing uh, other people's music, then you're, uh, you're, you're not, um, you're not using your style. So we all spent the 14 years that we were playing together, honing the specific styles. And when that, when Mike got Spike split, I basically abandoned that. I abandoned First off, being a drummer in my head, I guess, I was like, I want to be a singer guitar player. So I abandoned that. And then also I kind of abandoned my style and then, you know, always meant to sort of go back and do a review of the songs to remind me what my style was, you know. And, um, and now I'm finally doing it because I haven't had a reason to do it until now. And I'm sort of like, oh, I, you know, I like these parts. I like the way I play drums and the way I think about playing drums. And it's, um, it's definitely fired me up. Yeah. I've something similar on that in that, uh, revisiting these songs after so long, uh, it is kind of liberating because for like Gavin, like Dave playing covers for so long, you start to emulate other people. You start to adopt other people's styles. And it is a great actual way to build yourself as a musician learning other people's songs and the experience I got from that, I think has made me a better musician, but now coming back to the songs we wrote 15, 20 years ago and rediscovering my own voice um, is, it's a kind of a double-edged sword. In one hand, it's like, yes, I finally feel like me again. On the other hand, it's like, why did I make these bloody songs so hard to play? What a bastard I was back then. <laughs> You're still a bastard. Yeah, <laughs> Beautiful bastard. <laughs> there definitely was that thing at the time. I think I was uh, when writing these songs. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it, you know, that we did sometimes get clever for the sake of being clever. And some of the songs are difficult just for the sake of, ah, I pity the poor bastard who has to cover this, never realizing <laughs> that that poor bastard would be me 20 years later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's definitely been moments of that, you know. <laughs> you know, what, uh, when Gavin put out the first list, the, the first list of songs, uh, "Not My Problem" was on there, which is the most difficult drum song I ever wrote. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not sure that you know this one should be in the in the set list in this format." And he was like, "Is that because you're intimidated by it, Dave?" And I was like, <laughs> "I definitely am intimidated by it, but I welcome it." But I don't think it's right for this moment. But uh, yes, I, I welcome the intimidation of trying to play the stuff that I, I wrote many, many years ago. Dave, but, you've, but just I, given, you've just given away a song we're not going to play, man. We're, yes, oh, we're not playing oh. that one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, you know, I, I have to say I'm a better musician now. But uh, just some of the things that I used to be able to, like, I don't play double bass pedals. I haven't played double bass pedals in, in 10 years, 11 years. 11 years, yeah. And so I still had them in the attic and I was like, oh, I have to break down the double bass pedals, you know, and then set them up on the kit. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to be awful on them. And, and actually, I was all right. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. So um, I did have to go up in the attic and dust off some old effects pedals that hadn't been used in over a decade as well. <laughs> a decade as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. least we still have them. Right. Well, there, there was that because you know I just didn't think anyone would buy them because they were in shit condition, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, they would have been on deal like a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I didn't want all the weirdos from Dundee knowing where I live, so that's why I just didn't put them up. <laughs> there you go. Martin. Dark place, dark place. There's gonna be there's gonna anyway. be people that probably show up at this gig that I've never seen you guys before as well. So there might be room there for new fans. I know there's gonna be people going that will like myself and people that have seen you over the years, but then there's an opportunity that even more new people will be introduced to your music, which is kind of exciting, I suppose, after so long, maybe. And the children of the people who were our fans, you know, because obviously we're older now and so are our audience. 
and people who were 14 when we when they started seeing us first you know are now 34 and have kids <laughs> and play our music to their kids and i thought that was just beautiful you know that uh, someone had posted that as like my kids love your love caveat mtor and i was like what you know love that one one nice thing I noticed that uh, somebody said the reason why we're keeping the the fee down to a fiver was because uh, everyone's going to need to pay babysitters. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I've 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 been to I've been to a few club hells and helmet that you guys know was there, and I'd be always asking, "Go on, go on, play it." All oh, my got Spike song, and he always did. In fairness to him. Oh, come on, helmet. That's- that still yeah. blows my mind that, you know, you've, you know, Helmut's a great friend. He's been a great collaborator for, with Mike at Spike for, for designs, for posters. And he's, you know, to be honest, he helped the notoriety of Mike at Spike in the beginning because he was so in with that Blast community and started shit talking us on the Blast forums about how we ripped off Mr. Bungle. And that just helped people want to listen to what we were doing. So we actually owe him a great de- debt of gratitude for all of that. And I mean, he apologized profusely over the years for all of that pseudo controversy, which we took in stride. We were like, if people are sh- shit talking us, we're doing something right. You know, that's a good thing. But actually, uh, we're, we're going to ask him to join us on stage uh, as keyboardist, uh, computer keyboard, that is. He's going to be live tweeting about how shit we are the whole way through it. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the point I was trying to make was that uh, anytime we're, you know, we have, I haven't been at a club hell or any of the, the Dublin club rock metal nights in Jesus 15 years. But anytime I was there and you hear one of your own songs sandwiched in between Limp Biscuit or Fate No More or Linkin Park or whatever it is, and some people actually know it, it's just so incredibly humbling and almost. I always was nearly embarrassed in a, in a sense, not not embarrassed by the music, but kind of being there while a song that I had part had written a part of or whatever was being played. Like, how do you look when your song comes on? You're supposed to be like, yeah, that's fucking me. Or are you just like supposed to be all cool and aloof? <laughs> right? So I never really understood what you did in those moments because. That's when you yeah. go out for a cigarette. And- yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Helmet and so many other people like yourself and a myriad of folks that we probably don't even know all that well who've supported us on uh, digital radio, on, on terrestrial radio, all of the various media outlets and, and vehicles. You know, we're so grateful and thankful to all of those folks. And that's the beauty of music, right? The band hasn't played in over a decade, yet our music, people still listen to it. And we, as you said, people like yourself are always asking us, when are you going to do another show? When are you going to get back together? And we're, it's just incredibly humbling, gratifying, satisfying that we were four dudes who wanted to play music and wrote the shit that we thought was cool. We never did it because we thought we were going to get into the charts or get signed or be any of that. We wanted to play music. We wanted to tour the world. And we got to do some of that. The fact that people liked it was just incredible along the way. And just, yeah, it's just, it's incredibly, as I said, humbling. I'm repeating myself, but so humbling to think that something we did resonated and impacted people like different people that Dave and the rest of us met along the way who took up drums because they saw Dave play or took up guitar or bought whammy pedals because they saw what Connell was doing with, with his board. I mean, that stuff is just incredible. And it shows that you can make a difference, whether your band becomes monstrously famous or whether you just have, you know, modest success. You can be a role model. You can be a leader. You can have a positive impact in the world. And to think about that, I think that's, aside from all the great personal experiences when I reflect on my cut spike, I think that's probably the most rewarding piece of it is that we, I know m- many famous people today who got into music. And I, I say that with all humility, got into music because they saw us along the way and would probably list us as influences. And that is just incredible. Picture this, picture this. Cliff. The drummer. Yeah. Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Jimmy. yeah, Cliff and, and Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. And actually on the topic of inspiring people, like don't get me wrong, Jimmy's a dramatically better drummer than I will ever be. Um, and even when I saw him when he was, what, eight years old, he was playing like Metallica 1. I was like, what's happening? You know, but um, when I saw him do a drum solo with, uh, with Picture This and to like 18,000 people, I was like, oh, I taught him that. <laughs> and he's playing it way better than I could play it. But, 
using sort of techniques that uh, that were in my songs and then even you know covering my drum parts and then making his own drum parts and putting them on YouTube and then having the tens of thousands of, of views you know playing one of our songs is, is amazing do you know so um, yeah that that really fills me with joy and and makes you makes you feel like you know you, you weren't wasting your time by spending all those hours practicing and writing and putting it out there you know especially when people say you know caveat emptor is is in my top 10 favorite albums of all time you know really helped me through a bad patch and i'm like wow well that was like alice in chains for me so we're alice in chains to, the, the way alice in chains was to me is the way mike got spiked is to some people you know even just to one person that still humbles me you never mind you know yeah. more than that and when you look at it like that, yeah, um, I'm I'm really happy. I think we we achieved just the right amount of success. Did we at the time when we were breaking up? It was like it could have gone. We never made it big. We never achieved the dream. Playing stadiums, making millions, living in mansions. But we look back at it, that's not really what I want. You know, I mean, I look at I I I said this to Dave actually the last time we we met in in Dublin when unfortunately. Uh, one of our idols, Chris Cornell, had had left the world, and like there was a man who had everything we thought we wanted. You know, he was world famous, amazingly talented, but miserable enough to eventually take his own life. Like, is fame and fortune really? Is it what you want, or is it a curse? Did we actually achieve just the right amount where we've influenced some people? We had a great time doing it but I can walk down the street in my hometown and nobody knows who the fuck I am. <laughs> yeah. And that's beautiful though. That's beautiful because, you know, being in the public eye is a miserable affair. And, you know, I look at, at what it is to be a successful musician now. And I'm just like, makes me want to throw up. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Do you know? Um, that was never the My vision of our success was always Nirvana and, you know, being a real band playing real music to a large audience that's what that's what it was all about not you know not being in the public eye so sorry nirvana is a bad bad one to say yeah they were definitely in the public eye and definitely on magazines and all that sort of shit and we were never interested in that stuff ever still not don't understand it like get away from me you know leave, leave me my, my private life so the idea of being a public figure does not float any boats for me at all. You know, it's all about playing so to an audience. Renown rather than fame, I suppose. Or just being in a, you know, uniting a room full of people in the joy of music. There it is. And, and just what I have there, I'm going to go back to something we were talking about earlier as well, because um, Helmut, there is one thing that I really have to thank him for as well that he did for us back in the day. Um, he did his best. Uh, he actually lived in the same house as me for a while. And he did his best to try and introduce me to a singer that he knew I should really work with. And um, yeah, we met and we didn't form a band. No, she's going to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, thank you very much for introducing me to my, to my beautiful fiance, um, who is probably giggling in another room now. Uh, <coughs> but um, that was the other thing, I suppose, because when I was a teenager, I thought, well, maybe if I learn to play guitars, it'll get me uh, get me popular with the girls. Well, we're the only one that matters, so thank you. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful, beautiful. So I got, some, I got some good news and I got some bad news for you, Gavin, because you referenced it earlier. So the good news is I was talking to Niall and we've got an after party sorted. So uh, we're gonna do like we're gonna do like a I don't know is it official unofficial after party open the pillar bar afterwards and but we'll probably play some of your songs that night that could be the only yeah. thing so get a packet of cigarettes <laughs> that's right I'd probably uh -oh. too cool to show up to the after party dude ah you'd be grand yeah. <laughs> but guys one last one last thing before we finish anyway like for for people that haven't seen you before and people that obviously have seen you before over the years, what can they expect going into this show or do you even know? They can see a bunch of old farts entering midlife crisis trying to reclaim their former glory. <laughs> <laughs> Way to sell it, man. Uh, 
from my perspective, it, it's going to be interesting, Morris, because uh, you, the lads alluded to it a little bit earlier where they were saying that, you know, because of the cover music, you grow, you, your style uh, evolves. And I feel the same. I, I can't remember the last time I screamed. I, so, uh, you know, when we get into a rehearsal room in, in August, I'm going to have to make sure I can do that stuff because I've really been focusing on singing more so than the shouting and screaming stuff. Um uh, but I'm excited. You know, I feel like I'm personally, I feel like I'm a much better musician than I was when Mike got Spike called it a day. So I feel like I'm up to the challenge, but it is different doing this stuff when you're in your forties versus your early thirties. So, uh, I'm excited. You know, it's a 45 minute set. We're going to go balls to the wall and we'll be, you know, paying for it the next day, no doubt, but whatever it's, uh, that's the price for, of immortality, right? Man, did Dave just leave? He got so pissed off with what <laughs> Look at look at Niall's after putting in a, a super chat. I'm gonna to have to buy him a load of beers now because like YouTube take fifty two percent of the money. He's left in twenty three ninety nine there. Appreciate that, man. But they always take fifty percent of the money. I I kind of advise against people leaving super chats. So I'm gonna wow. I'm gonna buy Niall a couple of drinks when I get there. That's that amazing. Good, man. But thanks. Nice. But thanks. That man's got deep pockets. Oh, he's back. <laughs> Yeah, she's back. Davey's back. <laughs> Davey's back. You just recharge anyway. your phone there, did you? Uh, my, my phone said it's getting very hot. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, we're, uh, Vanessa Monaghan, Nessie is going to be interviewing us on, on RTE uh, on the London Ear pretty soon as well. Uh, we'll let you guys know when that is. It'll be on our, on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, which is awesome. So people looking after us again, good people, nice to see them and helping us out even now. We appreciate everybody. And and especially you, Morris, thank you so much for having us here. I mean, you you've been I've seen your face in the crowd at the majority of the gigs we played. You were always there. Um super fan, <laughs> if I may say so. But um, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to, to have this chat with you and with the land of YouTube as well. Yeah. It's Did not you as guys big have... as RTE, but like... <laughs> oh, grand. What not is, as big as RTE. I've got, I, I've got a memory of you, Connell. I, I fucking, myself and my friend Kevin, he's coming with me, and we drank a bottle of tequila one night and went to see your show on the Mez. You remember that? We, Yes, I do remember. This is what I remember about it, and you might recall this as well. We drank a full bottle of tequila, went to the mez, I went to the bar. I think I ordered two whiskeys and Coke or two Captain Morgans and Coke. I took a sip. I was like, nah, and I handed the two of them to you. That's my memory of that show. You remember more after a bottle of tequila than I remember after two whatever they were in Coke. <laughs> I remember putting my hand on stage and just trying to steal the set list. So make sure there's loads yeah. of set lists there, will you? Um, sure. I will see if I can. Um, There'll be at least four. Steal some stationery at work and print off some extra copies or whatever. Handwritten <laughs> 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 hand just for you. Okay. Uh, you guys obviously went over the, uh, the details of the gig before we go. Yeah, I said you'd just be talking smart and wearing Speedo. <laughs> just like the old days oh yeah yeah so tickets for the some... gig are available under this in the link of this video and dave you're gonna you're gonna sell it yeah we're, we're doing the grand so the grand social in dublin on august the 25th which is a friday the doors are going to be opening at 7 a.m and that's when you want to be there because the first band opinion yeah, so we gotta get in the door, and uh, we're we're on. I think we're on last, and so we're probably on at what time, Gavin? You think it was like nine thirty? Nine thirty, so thereabouts. But yeah, do get there. Get there at seven o'clock because the first band on Pinion, brilliant band, pop punk, fantasticness. You're gonna love them. Get there to see them. Pop star, me in the park. Two amazing bands. You know, this is this is not just about us. This is about Gig Smart, and these are just four of the amazing bands from that scene. But do get there if you can. I know a lot of us, a lot of people there are probably in their forties. They'll probably be there for seven. They'll see Pinion, then they'll go home because uh, it's getting late. But uh, <laughs> try and stick around for long enough to see us. You know. 
Uh, That's a great point, Donald, because this this is not our show. It's a gig smart show that we have yeah. to be picking in. So make sure you all show up to see the other amazing bands. I mean, that's, I always love yeah. Exactly. Smart was always about bands supporting other bands. I'll be there. I'll be in the front row for Pinion Popstar and me in the park. I'll be fucking going, hell yeah, it's been too long since I heard these guys play. So be there with me. Excellent. Thanks, Boris. Excellent, lads. We appreciate you, man. I Rock and roll. I'll see you on I'll see you on the 25th of August. So, gentlemen, thanks a lot for tonight. Thanks to everyone who watched it. And um get your tickets for the gig. They're nearly they're nearly gone. Halfway there, guys. Thanks a million. Thank Appreciate you. it, brother. Cheers, All right, boys. Take it easy, guys.